retailer H&M slapped with a hefty fine after snooping on staff. And former deputy CIO of the White House highlights identity governance. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. If you are an organization thinking of spying on your employees, you'd be better off abandoning that idea, as the German wing of the fashion retailer H&M found out this week. Here is ISMG's Matthew Schwartz, executive editor of Data Breach Today and Europe, for more on the story. The world's second largest clothing retailer has been slammed with the second largest European privacy fine in history. Privacy regulators in Germany have imposed a 35.2 million euro fine, equivalent to about $41 million, on H&M for violating EU privacy law. The fine, issued by the Hamburg Data Protection Authority under the EU's General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, represents the largest privacy fine ever issued by a German regulator. It centers on illegal workplace surveillance at a service center in Nuremberg. Stockholm-based Hennes & Moritz AB, better known as H&M, operates 5,000 stores across 74 countries and employs 126,000 people. News of the fine in Germany comes as H&M has announced that over the next year, it plans to close 250 stores, about 5% of its locations, due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic leading more people to shop online. The fine concerns activity that began well before then, however. Specifically, the German regulator says the activity began at the service center, which employs several hundreds of people, at least by 2014, and continued until October 2019. That's when a network configuration error revealed files that had previously been restricted for managers' access only. Due to the error, for several hours, the files were available company-wide and revealed that managers were subjecting employees to extensive recording of details about their private lives, with notes being permanently stored on a network drive. Information included welcome back talks with employees, during which details of potential illnesses and symptoms were often recorded by managers and shared with up to 50 other managers inside the company. The collected information was used not just for individual work performance reviews, but also to make decisions about whether to retain or fire personnel in what the German regulator said was a particularly intensive encroachment on employees' civil rights. H&M has apologized and notes that when the data collection came to light, it immediately reported the security incident to regulators, triggering the investigation. H&M has pledged to financially compensate all affected employees who have worked for the organization for at least one month since GDPR came into full effect in May 2018. The German regulator lauded that move, saying it is an unprecedented acknowledgement of corporate responsibility following a data protection incident. Finally, H&M says it has already made numerous changes, including personnel changes at management level at the service center, additional training for managers on data protection and labor law, revised HR policies, and created a new data protection coordinator role. So, what lessons can be learned? One big takeaway for businesses, especially with the surge in remote working that has continued throughout the pandemic, is to tread very carefully with any and all surveillance. 
Numerous organizations, for example, have begun using employee monitoring tools, sometimes called bossware, to try and gauge remote workers' productivity. At the same time, the economic impact wrought by the pandemic has led to many businesses furloughing or even firing workers. Now, companies could see their so-called workplace productivity tools get used against them. Attorney Jonathan Armstrong, a partner at London-based Quartery, told me that he's been seeing a significant rise in data protection requests and complaints, especially from employees who have been furloughed or let go. In other words, if you think H&M faced a challenging regulatory situation in 2019 when its illegal employee monitoring practices came to light, organizations that make these types of mistakes in 2020 are likely to face even more severe sanctions. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. What has cycling got to do with the imperative for digital identities? Well, you'll soon find out, because earlier this week, Nick Holland, ISMG's Director of Banking and Payments, was in conversation with Tony Craddock, Director General of the Emerging Payments Association in the UK, discussing why digital identity is gaining momentum. Here is a segment of the interview where Nick asks Tony what is being done to counter the fraud trends stemming from the COVID-19 pandemic from an emerging payment standpoint or similar initiatives. Here is Tony's response with a rather superb analogy. So really good question. Uh, the difficulty with this one is that, um, let, me, let me compare this to uh, cycling. So uh, I saw the cycling on your bio. I was wondering when, oh, that, <laughs> when that would come out. No. Um, so, so the, a few years ago, cycling was was a sport that was in the shadows of of, uh, of the world of sport. It was seen as a rather eccentric French thing. And many years ago, fifteen years ago, um, uh, a very uh, charismatic American by the name of Lance Armstrong came onto the scene. And he did, a, he did two things. He first of all brought a level of um, professionalism and money to the sport, but he also brought a degree of crime to the sport mm-hmm. because basically he, he not only uh, broke the rules, but he manipulated other people and, uh, and, and bribed and blackmailed other people uh, to, to, uh, around this, uh, this contravention of the rules. So, and that went on for seven years, and it's only since then that actually the the industry has started to, or the the sport has started to to clean itself up. So the reason for using that as an analogy is um, we find ourselves in a place where um, our industry is, has a whole range of rules and regulations in place that are necessary to prevent the, the endemic adoption of financial crime or deployment of financial crime. And unless we do something that is very specific to not only um, impact individual parts of it, but the collective, then we won't make a difference. So from the outside of that sport, lots of people were commenting on, on, on this situation and thinking it must be ridiculous. But it, until there was a collaborative get together of the, of the main players in sport, were they only when that happened, were they able to, to actually uh, accuse Lance Armstrong and withdraw his uh, withdraw his award, awards. Now we are in exactly the same place in our industry. Collaboration is necessary across a whole range of factors. And let me give you one example: digital identity. Yes. So just imagine if at the beginning of this pandemic we'd all had a simple digital identity tool that sat firmly on our phones. Think how easy track and trace would be. 
Think mm -hmm. how easy the reporting of and the coordination of the tracing and tracking of COVID-19 would be. It would be so much easier. And in fact, in Singapore, they've announced the um, distribution of a voluntary device. It's a small little token about the size of a matchbox box, if you can imagine the days when we had matchboxes. Um, and um, it, it tracks and traces who is in proximity with other people. And when one person gets ill, you can see who else they've spent a bit of time with. Mm -hmm. Just imagine if we had developed that digital identity capability in the UK, how much easier tackling COVID-19 will be. But we don't. And we don't because in 2006, the Identity Card Act, initiated by, um, by Tony Blair, was put in place. And it took four years and £350 million for us to discover that the, cons that the consumer in this country didn't want a digital identity or didn't want an identity card for privacy reasons. Now, that was a long time ago. The world has moved on enormously. It's about time we grasped digital identity as a real solution, not just to our payments related problems, but our crime related problems and our identity and our health related problems. It's a superb, superb solution. So for that reason, we are pulling together with a range of different institutions, an initiative that will help to bring digital identity into being in this country so that we benefit from it in the way in which they do in the Nordics from a superb digital identity system. It's, uh, it's, it's a long, long overdue, I would say. Absolutely, long overdue. And the challenge actually with many of these things is uh, there's vested interest in the status quo. Mm -hmm. And that's what stops it. And finally, as a security leader, what are your priorities over the next few months as you plan for the year ahead? This was the topic discussed in an interview led by our senior Vice President of Editorial, Tom Field, with the brilliant Dr. Alyssa Abdullah, otherwise known as Dr. J, who is Senior Vice President and Deputy CSO at MasterCard and former Deputy CIO for the White House. Over to the interview. Dr. J, we've got 12 weeks. 12 weeks until the end of this year and the start of 2021. You're starting your second year at MasterCard what are your key priorities as you prepare for this new year? Clearly, you're not going to be back in the central office anytime soon. <laughs> right, right, right. I am looking, you know, I really think identities are going to be pivotal in the future. And so as I look at identities and passwords and what we're doing there, I think in 2021, we're moving fast and furious to a more passwordless environment, to really honing in on a zero trust environment. And that is a you know, a long multi-year journey. Everyone, you know, when I say password list, a lot of times when I'm speaking, people say, oh my goodness, this is going to be so difficult. It is a difficult journey. It's a difficult ride, but I think it flips cybersecurity on its head. Instead of, you know, opening things and having things um, turned off when they need to be turned off, you now turn it on when it needs to be turned on. Um, and it actually puts you in a, a better security posture. I have kind of looked at things and determined you know, there's certain parts of the organization, certain parts of the company that we could rip the Band-Aid off and do that now. And then there's certain parts of the company where we need to peel the Band-Aid off very slowly um, to make it more uh, amenable to the processes and the things that they have in place. And so I think as I look in 2021, I'm looking for those areas. I'm looking for, number one, where we can be more tight on our identity and identity governance, because I think, like I said, identities are, are really going to be what's key to the future and key to not just you know, when I speak, it's not just about private sector and what companies are doing. I really think, you know, at home users have to think about 
identities and how they manage their accounts. If you had an old account and an old cloud email, and you say, oh, I don't use that one anymore. I've, I've started using this one. You really need to go back and shut that down. And you really need to wipe, you know, kind of clean that up. We have to make sure now that we are more focused on our identities, the governance of those identities, and then kind of looking towards how can we remove passwords? I do a lot now from my mobile device. How can I now use multi-factor authentication instead of having to put in a password makes me more secure. Though I have to depend on my mobile device, it absolutely makes me more secure. Um, and so I, those are things that I'm looking at and kind of figuring out how do we use AI better? You know, we talk a lot about AI in, in our instances of home and family and you know, our, our smartphones are using AI and they're listening and we've got, you know, devices at home that use AI. But now how do we use that better and more aggressively within, you know, cybersecurity? And how do we allow enable AI, AI to make decisions for us that we know are, you know, low risk and small process decisions. And now I can let the SOC staff do things that are really, really more important, use their brain power to really do larger assessments and things that are that are riskier. That's what I'm thinking about for 2021. That's it from ISMG's Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time. Thank you.